0: Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church podcast. TCC, a home for you. Good morning, Trinity Community Church. How are you doing today? Are you excited to be here? Good to see so many smiling faces this morning. Uh, I had a, an incident this morning. I was out in the atrium. I was enjoying a delicious bagel with a good schmear of cream cheese on it. Can I get a witness? And I dropped it. But thankfully, I caught it with my shirt. So I went to the bathroom, and I thought, okay, I got this spot. I'm going to clean it and make it better. Have you ever tried to make things better, but you've made them worse? There you go. That's where we're at this morning. Um, it's been great to see you guys. I, it's hard for me to get my head around that, like, Christmas is a week away. Are you ready? How many of you haven't even started yet? You're like my hero. You're, like, you're my hero. It's nuts. So I, I did I didn't realize how close it was. My wife reminded me of how close it was. Um, so we have um, you know, Christmas traditions like everybody else. One of the things that my daughter in law, McKenna, my bonus daughter, brought to our family, which is wonderful, is the Christmas list. We didn't have those before, we just used the force to figure out what everybody wanted. So she has an Amazon wish list. How many of you have an Amazon wish lists? It's great. So Robin's like, we got to get on this, man. We're done. We've been here busy doing Jesus' stuff, and we didn't do anything for the Harris's. So I'm like, we got to get on this thing now. So I panicked. Have you ever had Christmas panic? I went home, and I ordered all the stuff on the Amazon list that's on the kids' list, you know, that within reason. Some of the stuff, I'm like, yeah, Toby ain't getting a jet ski. You know what I mean? We're just not getting that. So I ordered all this stuff. Yesterday, we left Saturday Night Lights. It was 10 o'clock. We pulled into the house. And there in my driveway is a pile of boxes. They're not stacked. They're just, there's a pile. It's like the guy took the truck, backed up, beep, 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 dumped it, poof, and just left. And I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, I'm a little irritated because I spent a good nine and a half minutes ordering all this stuff for the kids because I love them so much. And I thought to myself, can you just take a little bit of care and stack them, get them out of the way and all those things? Um, how many of you know it's important to show care when you do things? We don't do things just to do things. We, we do things because, because we love people. We had um, a few weeks ago, we, we hosted all of the, uh, the condos came over. They used our facility so they could have a members meeting. And uh, there's a couple hundred of them, and they came over, and all they wanted was a room and, and a mic. And we don't do anything just like a room and a mic here. We love God and people extravagantly. We do extravagantly. So I said, I want full hospitality. We want coffee, cocoa, cakes, pies, cookies. I want it all. Have it all ready. I want them leaving. I want them so happy. I want them fat and sassy as they leave. You know what I'm talking about? So I wasn't here. Pastor Alex was here. And he said one of the, uh, the couples left. And as they left, they stopped him. And they said, we well, just got to tell you, man, this is over the top. Yeah, we feel the love, and this is great. And they, they said this they said, You know, you guys have been very good neighbors to us, and sometimes we have not been good neighbors to you. You know what that is? Extravagant love. They have love that's here, then there's love that's at a different level. Last night we were doing our Saturday Night Lights, and it was a ton, probably 400 plus people here, people running around kids are running around with sticky hands cuz they get the icing that sticks to everything and it 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 permanently, you know, dyes whatever they touch with the reds and the greens and stuff like that. And if you don't have a tetanus shot, I wouldn't come, but it's just crazy. It's nuts. And as I'm I'm leaving, I'm standing outside there and there's a family out there and and you could tell, you know, the kids are having a time of their life and the mom is like, "Oh, this is wonderful." And the dad is skeptical. And he comes up to me and he goes, "Hey." He says uh he says, uh, "This is nice." I says, "You like this?" He goes, "Oh, it's beautiful." He says, "But why why do you do this?" And I decided in that moment to make it weird. I said, because I love you. And he goes, excuse me? I said, we love you. I said, we do this because you love me. He looked at me, he goes, but you don't even know me. I said, I don't have to know you to love you. I said, we do this because we love you and we love your family. And I looked at his wife, she started to tear up. Extravagant love. That's what we do. Extravagant love. One of the greatest superpowers of the Christian life is extravagant love. It's loving people the way Jesus loved people. In fact, I think when you look at the story of Jesus, I mean, the crux of it, the foundation is love. All of you know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved. He loved us. And we love other, you know, other people. Have you ever thought of this? The Christmas story is a love story. It's the story of love, God loving us so much, he didn't want to be separated from us anymore, so he paid the ultimate price. He sent his son to die for us, to make a way for us. He loves us so much, he didn't want to be apart from us anymore. That is the story of Christmas. I want to start there today. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to read the Christmas story but we're going to read it through the lens of love. If you have your uh, app, you get all my notes, our, our app. If you have the you version of the Bible, you get all my notes. Uh, it'll be on the screens. If you don't, welcome to everybody that's online. Also, don't forget, guys, don't just sit here and let, let, you know, things by osmosis get into your head. Read the Scriptures with your own eyeballs. Get your nose in the book. Know what you believe. This is Luke 2. It says this, in those days... Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius, the governor of Syria, and everyone went to their land, uh, or went to their own town to register, verse 4. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, a time came for the baby to be born. Verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room, uh, uh, there was no guest room available for them. Verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of, 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 of David, a Savior is born to you. He is the Messiah, of the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a Babel wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Verse 13. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom God, His favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven... The shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that had happened, which the Lord has told us about. Verse 16. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Look at verse 19. This is a cool part. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. I love that. Can you picture Mary? You've got all the fanfare, all the stuff going on. Angels were part of this thing from the very beginning, man. Gabriel visited her, and angels spoke to Joseph. They told them where to go, when to go, how to go. Even the angels were there to announce to the shepherds, the sky was filled with the armies of heaven, not to fight, but to celebrate. And all those led these legions of shepherds to come and to worship at this stable. And there's Mary. Mary. Holding her baby, treasuring her, pondering. Not because of all the cool things around them, because isn't that just what we do as parents? Don't we treasure our children? She treasured who she was, or who he was. When I thought of that, when I read that, I think of, I think of our own stories. You know, we have, we have three children, because we didn't want four. It's very important that you know that. And, and even though we've got three kids... We love each of our children equally, yet uniquely. They're all creative, they're all different, and our love for them is different, yet it's all the same. Does that make sense if you got more than one kid? If you only got one kid, it's a, you're not like, you know, it's a different, parenting with more than one kid is like guerrilla warfare. You know, two, at least you're numbered evenly. Three, you're outnumbered, you got to figure something out, right? I remember the first time, it's something, you know, it's something special about your first one. I remember when Tyler was born. It was in December, uh, excuse me, January. Toby's December, he's January. We just had floods. And I remember when, when he was born, they, they handed him to me. And I looked at this little kid and I'm thinking, this just got real, real fast. I just went from the, the three foot to the 12 foot. We're, we're in the pool now. Because I mean, up to that point, you know, I could take care of myself. My wife could take care of herself. But I have this little defenseless baby that doesn't know anything. I remember holding him, and I remember thinking this, here's this little life, God, that you've given us. What will he become? You know, what will he do for you? What will he do for the world? What will he look like someday when he holds his son? Now, I got another month and a half, and my son is having a child. And it goes on. So I remember thinking of Tyler, the first. Every firstborn is usually a natural-born leader. He's a leader. Tyler's a planner. He's a builder. He's a kid that figures things out. He was a kid that, as a little kid, he was, thought things were too risky. So if something looked bad and risky, he would send Tori ahead. He would. And if she survived, he's like, okay, I think we can get this done. He was the one who came to us one day. We got a, a, a nasty note from his teacher because he had figured out it was almost mathematically impossible for Santa to get to all the places that he's supposed to get on that one night. He's like, well, if you look at the speed of light, and I'm like, can you just be quiet? We want the other parents to like us. Can you just be quiet? That was Tyler. I remember when Tori came. Tori had this mop of hair that disappeared in like three days. I don't know why. Then she was bald as a cue ball for like two years. Tori, from a little kid, she was always independent, an explorer, a creator, directional. She was always fierce. She was always like that. He was a little kid. I remember taking her to the park. One day we were at the park and a little kid comes up. He's like, um, pa- Pastor TJ, um, Tori, she's um, she's mean. I'm like, tell me something I don't know. I said, what's she doing, babe? Wait, she's telling us all to line up because we have to go this way. And I, she said we had to go, and I don't want to go that way. I said, well, just don't go that way. Said, she said, she's scary and ties the back on. She's scary. Just do what she says. And then I remember Toby. Toby was the last one. He's a baby. I love to call him baby and sweetheart. He's a six foot three sweetheart. Especially in front of his friends. Come here, sweetheart. He's like, child, don't call me sweetheart. I remember early on, Robin spoke this over him when when she was pregnant. Because he came later. She said, he is my joy. And Toby embodies joy. He's yielded to God. He's adaptable. He's always been a peacemaker. Good with common ground and he's an influencer. All of my children, all of our children are unique, and we celebrate their uniqueness. Parents, here's a little word of advice. Don't harp on the things that they're not. Celebrate the things that your children are. You do that, and they'll change the world. God created every child. Everybody's, nobody's a mistake. He's built your children with a certain skill set, with a certain aptitude, with a certain way. Celebrate that way. Launch them well. And uh, they will change the world. You got a big job ahead of you. Way bigger than the job that they pay you for, right? So I imagine Mary treasuring these things in her heart about Jesus. And she probably had the same thoughts that we had about our kids. Lord, what's he gonna look like? I mean, we know what the angel said. We know that you know he was gonna be the son of the most high, but but what does that mean? What does that practically look like? I mean, she probably has some same questions that we do. I know Jesus and I know what he's supposed to do, but Lord, how does that flesh out? I mean, let's just be real. What does pure love really look like? A love that's so powerful. When he came, he changed the world. He split time in half. Not like the way we would do it, but he changed the world one heart at a time. He changes a heart and then he changes another heart, and then he changes another heart. And before you know it, a world filled with darkness begins to shine. That's how he does it. So the struggle for us as believers is this. We know that God is love. We know that he loves everybody. We all know John 3.16. So what does that love look like for us? What does it look like for us to move in that love and for us to shine that love for the world to see? If you've got your Bibles, flip over to First John chapter 4. We're going to live here today. It's not going to be long. And the church said, "Woohoo!" I don't know if we'll beat the Baptist to the cracker barrel, but we'll try. 1 John 4. This is a beautiful passage, and I think it's, let me encourage you. Anytime, anytime you, you kind of lose your way, anchor yourself again to the person of Jesus and to what he said. This is John very close to Jesus, talking about giving us a rudder for what this love looks like. 1 John 4, 7 says this. Dear friends, let us continue to uh, to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Verse 9. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. Verse 10. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. There's a few things in here I just want you to get a hold of this morning that I think will help you in how we process love and how we as believers live in love. How many of you know that we are called to be the keepers of love? If they can't find it in our house, beloved, they're not going to find it on the planet. It has to start in the church. First thing is this: You are loved by God, and I know what you're thinking. Well, Pastor, that's simple. We all know that. Sometimes the simple is very profound. I know that you know that intellectually, but you do you really know that you're loved by God? All of you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He loves you. He loved you before you were born. He'll love you the day you take your last breath. Even the life that you live in between, he loves you regardless of what you will say, what you'll do, what you'll think, what you'll accomplish. He loves you and it's a special love. It's a Billy Joel kind of love. He loves you just the way you are. You know what we call that? Unconditional love. You're created in his image. We're image bearers and he loves you. Now sometimes when it comes to our faith, we get stuck because most of the time when we look at our faith we measure our faith on how much we love him and we think that our faith is all dependent on what we bring to the table but that's not true sometimes we forget this our loving god is a response to what he's already done for us how he's already loved us first john 4:19 puts it this way we love because he first loved us so that love is a response it's not like I choose you, Lord. We finally yield to his love and his plan to our lives. It's not just what we bring to the table, because, beloved, we don't have enough. I remember years ago, we, um, I was coming home, and Toby, and, or Tyler and Tori were in school. Toby was home alone, and Robin was doing something. I came in. He was probably like three years old, and he, 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 he kind of went off course, and he got into mischief. Do your children ever get into mischief? So I came around the corner, and he was drawing on the wall. He had a crayon, and he was drawing on the wall. And i got to tell you this, the drawing wasn't even any good. Just drawing on that wall. So I came around the corner, and he's got his tongue out, and he's just having the time of his life. And I go, hey, so what are you doing on that wall? Don't draw on that wall. And he looked at me, our eyes locked, and instead of putting his head down and saying he was sorry, you know what he did? He grabbed his crayon, and he threw it down. He said, Dad, I don't know what to tell you. He said, I'm just bad. Toby John Harris, my joy. He said, I'm just bad, and you're just going to have to deal with it. I'm just bad. And he stormed off, and I went, I can't argue with that. I'm just bad. Now, how many of you know when he was drawn on that that wall, that didn't make me love him less? He's still my son. I love him. I wish he wouldn't have drawn on the wall if he was going to do it, make it look nice. Right? Sometimes that's us. We think it's just about what we bring to the table and we forget that God is a huge part of this equation. We struggle because we don't understand what it means to be truly loved by God. The enemy has done a beautiful job of telling you over and over and over and over and over over that you're junk and you're garbage. The enemy does whatever he can to place the world against you To put you in environments where you were told you were never enough? Some of you have never even encountered love the way that the Father, you know, wants to give you love. Do you think it's any you think it's a coincidence that we see in our society the tearing down of the Father image? Do you know why that this is part of of an attack and a plan of the enemy? If the enemy can mar the image of earthly fathers, he knows this. We look at our earthly father the way, our heavenly father the way we look at our earthly fathers. And if he can distort that image of our earthly fathers, he can mess with how we see God. That's why a lot of our homes don't have dads anymore. The enemy's trying to take the father out. That's why it's important for us to see healing in our families. And it's important for us to point our eyes toward our heavenly father to learn what that's like. Some of you have been told you've been junked your whole life. You don't know how to love. And what happens is this. We pass on what we know. We pass on abuse. We pass on brokenness. Every time we do that, every time we're in those environments, it pushes us further away from understanding how much God loves us and that you're loved by Him. I remember um, I was in Denver, <clears throat> I was coaching football, and one of my, it was a weird season. We were in a metro area, um, and four of our players that year were going to be daddies. And I remember one of the kids, Brandon, came up to me. Brandon was a ninth grader that just came up, and he had, um, he got his seventh grade girl, girlfriend pregnant. So Brandon came up to me, they used to call me Pastor Coach, hey, Pastor Coach, he said, I, I, I got to talk to you. I said, okay, Brandon, what, what do you need, man? He said, well, he said, I got, I got my girlfriend pregnant. He says, and I'm, I'm committed. I'm going to stay with her. He goes, but he says, I don't know what to do. See, Brandon's dad died when his dad was 21. Brandon was like two years old. He didn't have any men in his life other than a few coaches. His mom was a drug addict. Um, here you had this kid that was just hanging on by a thread, in school and he didn't know what to do. He'd never seen Love modeled. I remember going to a, uh, a meeting with all of his teachers and his counselors because they were, they were having concerns with Brandon because Brandon wasn't doing his homework. Brandon was being mean to teachers. Uh, he, was, he was disrespectful to female teachers doing all these things. And they were this close to kicking Brandon out of school. And I remember sitting and saying, well, guys, have you, have you talked to Brandon? Brandon is a kid that doesn't have a home. He lives on couches. He doesn't have a mom, doesn't have a dad. His life is a mess, and he's never had love model for him. So we're just going to get rid of him? You know, he he uh, couldn't read, could barely write. He'd send me texts that were just awful. So I told Brandon, I said, Brandon, I said, I would be honored to spend some time with you. So Brandon and I met once a week until he had the birth of his son. And I I realized this. He didn't know. How many of you know you, you don't know what you don't know because you don't know it? He didn't know how to talk to women. He didn't know how to treat women. He didn't know how to receive love from men or women, moms or dads. Now Brandon still, He's had a bumpy life. At his core, what continues to plague him is his inability to receive love. He just doesn't know what it is. Beloved, you're loved. God loves you. Regardless of the situation you you grew up in, regardless of the road that you've had to walk, God loves you. He's crazy about you. And know this. if If you can't understand and you can't grasp how much God loves you, you're never going to be able to pass his love along to anybody else. You can't give to others what you don't have. Does that make sense? You just can't do it. This is why you have to see yourself the way that God sees you. You have to see yourself through, through His eyes, not your own. God loves you unconditionally. Now, we struggle with that because we don't know what that looks like. But before you did anything, God loved you. Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, know this. It's the heart of God that we receive Him and make Him Lord of our lives so that we can be with Him forever. But if you don't follow his path, he is still going to love you. If you follow him like Mother Teresa, he's going to love you. If you run away from him like the worst sinner you can imagine, he's still going to love you. Why? His love is not conditional on what you do. You're an image bearer. You're part of his creation. And he's crazy about you. He loves you. We don't understand that love. That's unconditional love. We don't understand it. Our love is conditional. As much as we try to not be conditional, it is. If you do more for me, I will love you more. If you give me a bowl of ice cream, you're at the top of the list. So last Sunday, it was nuts. We had a crazy weekend. We had the services. We had Saturday. We had a a concert, Saturday night lights. Sunday morning, I get in, and we're doing our stuff. And we have, a, we have a staff party that night. We had 50 staff members coming over. So I told my wife, I said, honey, I said, listen, I got, I'll get done preaching. I got a missions meeting real quick, and then I'll come home and I'll get stuff ready. And she goes, she looked at me, she goes, honey, she goes, you do have a mission. This is your mission. Your mission is to get your butt home after service. There's no meeting for you. Your meeting is you and a dustpan and a mop, and you're going to be cleaning the house. That is your mission. So I went to Dan, and I said, Dan, my mission has changed. I will not be here with you. I'll be there with my, with my family. So we, we put the kids on high alert. And I don't know if you ever do this with your kids. We said, listen, we got kids, we have people coming over. We use the, the Jedi mind trick. If all of you help just a little bit, it won't kill your mother. And if your mom gets mad, we're all done for. So we're going to help us mom to be happy. So Toby, you got to do this. Tori, you got to do this. We, we gave all these things out. Everybody's got to do something. If everybody does this, it'll be fine. So I drive home I get to the house, I walk in the house, and it's got this clean smell and this look. Tori's been working her tail like a little elf cleaning stuff, and I'm like, I love that girl. And I go into the living room, and right in the center of the living room is a big blue bag with all of my youngest sons, whose name I will not mention. All of his laundry, dirty from school, laying right in the living room floor all over the place. And there, next to his laundry, is is the big guy, Taking a nap. So I walked in, and Dad, I, me and Jesus had a talk of where I would go if I sent him to him quickly. That day, Lord, if I send him to meet you now, and I, I have to kill him, where would I be? And in that moment, I made this, under, this, this, this declaration, this understanding in my, in my mind. In that moment, I loved Tori more than Toby. It was like, Tori, joy to the world. And I, Toby, get up! clean. I'm sorry, Dad. I didn't realize. I know. Conditional love. That's all we understand. In fact, I believe this. You won't fully understand unconditional love until the day you take your last breath here on the planet. Everything we do love for love is, 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 through, a, is through a filter. It is. So what we do is this. We sometimes take our flawed understanding of human love and we superimpose it on God. And sometimes we serve out our faith with that flawed understanding of love superimposed on God. Sometimes we think, if I just do more in my faith, I'll I'll earn more of God's favor, more of His credit, more of His love. So we, we try to to do more things. We try to be intergalactic Christians, which is great. It's good if you're going to do those things so you can grow in your faith, but if in the back of your mind you're doing it because you think, well, God will just be happier with me. He'll love me more. That's not true. That's not how our faith works. Sometimes we, we, we serve, and we're not happy to serve, so what you know what we do, we let everybody know that we're serving for Jesus, but we're not happy about it, Right? And when you do that, you know, I'm here sweeping because my wife made me, and I'm doing it for Jesus, but I'd really like to be watching the football game. By the way, the Steelers stink. That's my team. Football's dead to me. And we let everybody know, you know, I don't really like to do this. And you know what? When you do that, you don't get any benefit from it at all, and really neither does the Lord. But we do it for some duty to think, well, I just have to do this because maybe then God will be happy with me. None of that matters when it comes to unconditional love. Sometimes we think having a robust faith is a, is a way to earn more love from God. Now, don't get me wrong. Having a, a robust faith is beautiful, and it's important, and it's necessary. But we don't do it to try to earn more favor to God, from God. We don't pray more so that we can get more of His favor, and, and He'll like us more. We pray more so that we can hear Him clearly, so that we can be on point more for the kingdom. That's why we do these things. Even, you know, when we serve, we don't serve just to get favor from God so we can be in a a good standing with Him and be a good Christian. We serve as a response to what God's love has done in our lives. It's a response. When we serve, it's God's love blooming in our lives. It's You you can't help but serving when you love God. In fact, if you're a believer and you're not serving, If you're a believer and all you do is you you suck and you take and you receive and you say, well, pastor, I'm just too busy to serve. You don't have a busy problem if you're not serving as a believer. You have a love problem. You don't understand how this works. God loves us so he can release us to love others and to serve others. If you're in the kingdom and you're not doing anything except just sucking information in, your faith is self-oriented instead of selfless. We make time for things that are important to us. Priority. If you don't have time in your life to serve, to honor God, that's a love issue. It's not a busyness thing. We don't come to church just to receive. We come and we love others and we serve others. Why do we do that? Do you know why we do that? Jesus modeled that for us. We follow him in this. This is what he did. He did. If you come to church and you just receive and you don't get in people's lives and you don't serve and you don't help out in places, you're missing out in one of the greatest joys of being a Christian. That's serving others. That's loving others well. I don't know if you've noticed this. At Trinity, we've got a lot of serving opportunities. There's different types of churches that exist. We are not a sit-back, we'll-see-you-next-Sunday type of church. We're constantly going into the community. We're constantly going and, and, and we're loving people. To love people well doesn't mean we just wait for people to come to us. We go to them. We love them where they're at. For example, in February, we're going to be adding a third service Saturday night. We need your help. We need more bodies. We need people with hospitality. We need more people with kids. If you've got a tetanus shot, we can use you in kids' ministry. Get involved do something. You'll see all these service opportunities. Don't just be a bump along. log. Do something. You'll start to see something that's going to be all over the place. Serve one, attend one. Well, Pastor, I don't know what I'll do. That's why you've got to see Pastor Alex. He'll get you plugged into something. By the way, there's no selective services or servants either. You serve or you don't. You know, don't, don't say, Pastor, I can serve every fourth Thursday from 8.05 to 817. Every other leap year. That's not, uh, there's no greater love than this that a man lays down his life for his friends. You know, Jesus just wasn't talking about dying then. You know that, right? Love, serve. This is what love does when it blooms in our life it makes us want to serve, it's a response. This is also why we give. We give in response to what already has been given to us. God provides for all of our needs. So, why wouldn't we in turn give and provide for others? Matthew 6 21 says this Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. If you truly understand what it means to be loved by God and to be cared for and to have your provision meant, then giving is not a chore, it's a delight, it's a privilege. God just wants my stuff. He doesn't want your stuff. He doesn't need your stuff. He's God. He's trying to make you like him. Not like me, but to be like him. Carrying his heart and his nature and his love for people. None of that happens, beloved, unless you understand that you're loved by God. Some of you struggle today to love others because you've not yet received God's love for yourself. He loves you. doesn't matter where you've been. doesn't matter what you've done. He loves you. And if you find yourself far away from God, come home. Come home. Come home. That's the first thing. Look at 1 John 4.11. Let's finish this up. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we ought to surely we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. So that takes us to the second thing we have today. First, know this, that you're loved by God. The second thing is this. Because you're loved, God has called us to love others. The natural response of being loved is to love. Have you ever thought about that? Remember when your kid was small? When you get in and you give huggle-buggles and you kiss them and stuff like that, and you love them, what do they do? Their response is to model that and to love you back. It's just the way that it is. When we allow ourselves to be loved deeply, that same love just doesn't bounce around within us. It naturally is designed to flow through us and to go back out into other people. Now, do you know what happens when we choose not to love? Do you know what happens when you fail to love others? If you fail to love others and you're just self-focused, then you stunt the full expression of what God wants to do love-wise in your life. You live on portions of love instead of the full expression of God's love. What happens is this. If you live your life like that, you start to pass along the crumbs of love rather than the full portion of love. And unfortunately, a lot of our churches, we pass along crumbs rather than the full expression of love. I can tell you this, beloved. When we allow love to flow through us unrestricted, miracles happen. Crazy thing happens, and your faith is just, it just goes bonkers. Now, there's a great example of this. Jesus told a story. If You got your Bibles turn to Luke 19 about this little guy named Zacchaeus. I can call him a little guy because the Bible says he's a little guy. Some of you in this room may relate to that. I don't know. It's a beautiful story on how love can transform a human heart. Luke 19, verse 1 says this. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he'd become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass by that way. Verse 5. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. That's important. Zacchaeus, he said, he said, Quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, and he took Jesus to his house uh, in great excitement and joy. Look at verse 7. But, there's always a but, isn't there? The people were displeased. He's gone to to be the guest of a, a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord, and he said, I'll give half of my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I've cheated uh, people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Verse nine, Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to to, to seek and save those that were lost. How did Jesus love Zacchaeus well? How did he love him? Upon, you know, even moving from himself. He spoke to his core needs. There were a few core needs here that he spoke to Zacchaeus that are also inside of every human heart. The first was this. He called Zacchaeus by name. Zacchaeus was not a number. He didn't call Zacchaeus by his sin. He didn't call Zacchaeus by his failure. He called him by his name. Isn't it funny in our society? You could be on top of the mountain and do all these great things and you do one bad thing and you're known by what? your brokenness and your failure. Isn't it funny in our own lives how much we define people by their lowest moments rather than their best moments? Rather than by their name. We had 400 people here last night plus. All of them have a name. They're not numbers. They're names. And all of those people, they had children that had names or parents that had names. And every person that was here They had names of people that they've lost. Names of of, of baby love that may may happen. We're defined not by our brokenness, but we're defined by our names. When Jesus looks at you, he doesn't call you by all the ways that you stink. He calls you home by name. So Jesus looks at Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, you, yeah, I know your name. you got to get down here. we got plans, baby. And what does Zacchaeus do? He scurries down there. People want to be known. So for us, call people by their name. Know who they are. Don't call people by their failure. Love people by their name. Take time to know them. You love me, right? Everybody say, Pastor TJ, we love you. I'll say it like you mean it. Say, Pastor TJ, we love you. Because Jesus said you had to, right? You're not... That busy or that important to not to look into people's eyes and to know them by name. Nobody's that important. Nobody. The second thing he did was beautiful. He invited him to belong. Zacchaeus, you got to get down here because today I'm going to have dinner with you at your house. Zacchaeus, you've been on the outside with all the notorious sinners. I'm bringing you on the inside. Today we're going to hang out. Why did he tell Zacchaeus that? Because we're all built with the desire to belong. You were created to belong. Not to be a lone ranger, but to belong. In fact, you ready for this? One of the nastiest tactics of the enemy is this. Even when it comes to our faith, he made everybody's faith. We all have our own personal relationships with God. Even though, do you know that God designed us to be together? So, what do we do? We all go into our little silos. I have my Jesus time, you have your Jesus time. We'll come together, but let's all go back to our Jesus times. We were supposed to, to live together. This is one house. We carry one another's burdens. We don't let people just go out there flapping in the wind. We're here to carry each other. When you're weak, when you're broken, when you're tired, that's when the church rises. That's not when we throw you away. Do you hear me, beloved? That's when we get stronger. No, no, you got to kill me to rip this person away from me. Sorry, we're in this together, right? Isn't that like a, a Disney music? We're all in this together. I remember seeing that in my house at some point. He created a place for him to belong. All of us are created to belong. And people struggled with it. Why did people struggle with him belonging or inviting Zacchaeus to belong? Because sometimes we, we just we get it wrong. When God set Israel apart, He didn't set Israel apart to keep them clean from everybody else. He sent them apart so they would be distinct in a world of darkness. But He empowered them to send them, to send the good news that the Messiah is here. But you know what? They missed it. They missed it. And they turned inward. And their separation pushed them apart. And then they started to look down on everybody else. Now thank God that's not the church, right? Thank God we don't do that, right? We have to be distinct, light and darkness, but beloved, we don't separate ourselves just we're afraid we're going to get dirty. We seek and save the lost just like Jesus did. We don't just love people if they happen to come across our path. We go and we find them. We go to the highways. We go to the byways. What did Jesus say? He said, lift up your eyes. Look, the fields are whited to harvest. And what did he tell us to do? Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers to go get them. Not to find the harvest. The harvest is all around us. His prayer was for us to stand up or in the Greek vernacular to get off our dupas. That's Greek for bum. And to go and to seek and save the lost. That's love. So this crazy thing happens. Zacchaeus encounters love, God's love. God calls him by name. He invites him to belong. The people grumble because that's what they do. But this crazy thing happens to Zacchaeus. In God's presence, when he encounters Jesus, God is love. We just read that in John. This nuts thing happens. Zacchaeus is transformed. Like, pfft, night and day. What does he say? I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor. And if I cheated anybody, I'm giving you four times back. Did Jesus tell him to do that? What was that? It was the response of love, birthing in his heart, transforming him to be like him. This is what happens when we love others well. This is what happens when you and I encounter the full weight of the Father's love. You can't help when you encounter the full weight of the Father's love but to be transformed. So, you can't give away what you don't have. So first, beloved, no. That you're loved by God. If you're here today and you don't know that, before you leave, you need to come up here and let us pray with you. Maybe you bought in hook, line, and sinker what the enemy said about you. Today, we're going to fight him together. And you step across that line and we're going to be okay. The second is this. Are you loving others well? Is your life self-oriented or are you selfless? I can't think of a better example to a selfless life than what Jesus did for us by going to the cross for us. The Bible says he went to the cross and it was the joy, the joy of you. He grabbed that cross. He followed it with joy because he knew that it would bring you together with him. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.